1: Three years ago in 2012, a crack duo, one martial arts expert and surprisingly good mimic, the other a weapons specialist and professionally bearded, were sent to separate recording stations thousands of miles apart to do an 80s and 90s action commentary podcast for a crime they happily committed, something James Spader told them about that involved an industrial drum of coconut butter hand lotion and a common household whisk. These men promptly created a passion-filled wave of action adoration that swept throughout the internet underground. Today, still wanted by Steven Seagal for making one too many jokes about his expanding gut and knitted hair, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you love action, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you should be listening to Dr. Action and the Kick-Ass Kid commentaries. This podcast, people, explodes.
2: Hello and welcome to Dr. Action in the Kick-Ass Kid commentary podcasts. Although it's not a commentary this week, it's a kick-ass interview. I am dr action
1: and i am the kick-ass kid and yes as dr action alluded to in his intro we have a special action interview episode for you with none other than stuntman turned film director jesse johnson uh, who has done some incredibly awesome work which we get into in this following conversation thanks ever so much uh, jesse for agreeing to be on the show you're talking with me uh john cross i also go by the kick-ass kid on the show and also on the line we have dr action himself uh doc paul Croson. how are you mr johnson
2: good good doc how are you yeah very well thank you
1: um and uh obviously thanks ever so much for agreeing to talk to us today and so uh we just wanted to start off you started off in the 90s as a stuntman and worked on a succession of very cool high-profile films how did you get started as a stunt performer
3: uh, Very sad, sad, I'm afraid. It's a complete nepotism. Uh, my my uncle, uh in the business at the time, Vic Armstrong, who's who's my uncle, I actually worked with him since I was about 14, drawing storyboards and carrying his stunt bag. Uh, I, I skipped school and worked with him on Young Indiana Jones, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was oh as way back in the 80s, and and I was 14 and carried his stunt bag, so. It was a, uh, and we had Simon Crane was one of the stuntmen on that. He's now one of the top, top second unit guys in town. And it was, it was really the birthplace of a lot of the English, English, you know, coordinators out there doing great stuff now. So it was a fantastic, and obviously it was a, you know, an incredible movie to, to be on. And that was pretty much the bug at that point. It, 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 it had bitten uh, pretty resolutely. And uh, there's no real looking back from there. School took a second position to, to working with him and, you know, whenever I could, when, you know, it was obviously tougher when he was out of the country, but certainly within the UK, you know, following around and uh, and learning the ropes, uh, which which was what he did and what you what, what used to do in the old days. But I, I, you know, people do it less now with film schools. And every so often I sit down and i done the film school method, but, uh, but there you go. You don't get to do it over the years.
1: No. But, I mean, you can't look back and regret any of the choices considering the uh, fantastic career you had.
3: Well, it was fabulous, but I mean, you know, for the longest time I was simply worried about eating and had to just keep working and working and working because those PA positions don't pay very much at all. So you're, you know, And then suddenly something happens around you your sort of 20s where you realize you're actually working with these incredible talents and it's worth watching them. And, and, and at that point, it was almost a, a, a concerted effort to start picking up whatever I could. Uh, and, and learning from them, and it actually takes an effort because you can you can just work on movie after movie, and it, it, you know and you emerge from it without any sort of great great lessons learned, and like, you know you, you spot people who worked in the industry forever. And, that you know, really really doesn't it's no it's no indicator they could direct a movie. But actually watching the people you work with and, and adapting to them and, and seeing what they're doing, the techniques they're using to get out of a problem. Uh it takes an effort but but it's well you know it's, it, there is a film school to be had on the job, so to speak, I think. And I you know, I, I believe it uh you know, I had a uh, two thousand and eight uh stock market crap, you know, the, the hedge fund crash. Mm. Uh I had three big movies fall apart. And at that time, I was full, full-time directing. I wasn't doing stunts at all. I'd given up and given my stunt bag away. And these three huge, huge movies that fell apart caused me to have, you know, I had to go out and get my stunt bag back and, and and throw my shingle out as a stunt performer again. And for that year or so, catching up financially, it was, I think it was The Master with P.T. Anderson, uh, Lincoln with Steven Spielberg, and Thor with Kenneth Branagh. And I, I, you know, I'm sitting next to the monitor, next to the camera with these guys. Watching and listening, I suddenly realised this is probably the best thing that could ever happen to me. Having to have, you know, having to literally go back to doing this, I've had one of the most wonderful post, you know, postgraduate doctorate courses in in what it really means to be a director. And it, and and at the time I was panicking because oh my god, I'm not directing back the next month. But you suddenly realise it's a really, really wonderful, wonderful position to be in on a film set because you're so close to them. You're helping with the safety. You're throwing ideas backwards and forwards you know, what's gonna work action wise, you're listening to that particular technique and it's 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 a really, really privileged privileged place to be, you know, and uh, and it it was funny doing it a second time made me realise that more profoundly than before.
1: Oh yeah, definitely that's fascinating.
3: You work you work with 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 someone like Kenneth Banner who's obsessed with the performance and he's got a little notebook and has he's watching the uh, the scene play out on the monitor, he's, he's making copious notes, tons of them I was looking at his shoulder, What in the is he not doing you know? Yeah. And it, he was making notes for each of the characters' performances and what he wanted to change, what he liked, and he'd dash in on cut and go through through the scene, you know, whether it was Natalie Portman and, and, and Chris Hemsworth and, and literally tell them and you're looking at, oh, God, that's an awful lot of information and you're wondering if the actor's actually listening or if sort of he's nodding or just liking the attention. I think it's sort of a combination of all three, you know. And then with with Pete Anderson, you've got you know, he really, really ran ran the set and it was uh you know, it I'd always thought it's the actors that were the ones that uh, I'm Stan and Flashy, I'm gonna be the one character and but it was it's completely him. I mean they 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 were sort of playing along and, and enjoying it, but it was it was absolutely one the idea of that immersive environment was all, all down to him. It was fantastic to watch. You know, we weren't allowed to call Joaquin. Joaquin you had to call him for and That everyone upset, even the extras, had to had to talk. You know, had to act as if he were in character.
0: Wow! And, and
3: that, that that was that was a really interesting thing to be a part of. Uh, the guy I worked with, Garrett, made a made a fundamental error on that set. There was one scene where he did something and he did it a little quick, and, and Garrett said, "Oh, don't worry, we can slow that down in post." And it was like someone had pulled the needle. You know, pulled the needle off a record player midway through the song. Everyone turned around and looked at it. it was like, do it in post. We don't do anything in post that happens in the camera on set or it doesn't happen at all. <laughs> and over the glove, you know. So so nowadays so much it's fixed you know, in post. You know, There's visual effects. Don't worry about it. We'll finish it. We'll finish it later. And 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 to go back to someone that was shooting on, you know, sixty five millimeter film. You know, to be blown up to seventy millimeter and the absolute you know, uh, the absolute antithesis of, of, of modern technology, but making it look beautiful and I, I found that really, really interesting and educated educational you know so it's a good place to learn the craft but uh, it took me a while to realize it was a good place to learn the craft let's
0: put it that way yeah oh
2: excellent excellent uh, so were there any favorite stunts you performed that stand out or any f- uh, favorite films that you worked on stunt wise
3: uh, well stunt wise those that i just mentioned had to be the most favorite because it came at such a you know such an important time in my life having. I mean, Having directed probably at that point, I'd done about seven or eight movies, but gone straight to DVD. I thought of myself as a working director and then being forced to go back to stunts And literally having to turn my attitude around and realize it wasn't a failed position, but it was actually an incredible position, you know, fortune to be there. Uh, those, those are obviously ones that are very, very important to me in terms of they're exciting. Uh, but the other one, you know, the, the other ones, you, you know, so much of being a stuntman is, is not as glamorous as you, as, I mean, you hear this all the time, I'm sure, but it's it's really about making things as safe as possible, trying to minimise it, and trying to make it something you can do over and over again. Obviously, there's always an element, you know, you, you always run into that stunt where you've got, you know, it's basically, you're looking in the cameras there, and someone's about to say, actually, you've got to grit your teeth because you know it's going to hurt. Uh, there's, there's plenty of those that come along too, even when you try and minimise the, you know, the, the risk involved, it, it's... It's inherently, at its core, you know, it, it's inherently can be dangerous. So you you have, you have to be you have to be on point. So those those are exciting moments. But uh, uh, I I was lucky. I was not you know I was not a guy that did six hundred foot high falls. I, I I didn't particularly do any of the big big water stunts or anything you know monstrous. But. You know, there's a lot of fun ones. I think Cutthroat Island, which was a, a sadly a failure as a movie, it was actually an incredibly fun film to work on. You know, you're dressed as pirates for three and a half months. You go from Malta to, to southern Thailand, uh, and then out in the China Sea for a month and a half. It takes an hour to get to the location by by catamaran. It was pretty fun. That was a uh, that was an exciting adventure to be on. Uh, I directed a film called The Fifth command with Rick Yun and Joaquin uh, Woodbine that shot him in Bangkok, Thailand. And I was there for five months. Uh, and that was one of those situations where you get off the plane, and it's you and a Thai crew, and a, you know, you know, uh, Thai Thai heads of department. And you basically just got to immerse yourself in the culture and learn as much of the language as you can, uh, and try and try and get them to make as close to the movie you want as possible. And that you know, adapting to their way of making movies for me that's, that's that's some of the most exciting stuff to do but you're right you're asking that done if you want to ask
2: that directing. Uh, I, I know that that's great I love the fifth commandment it's great Phil
3: thank you very much yeah that's a hard one for me <laughs>
1: I actually picked that up recently. I saw it, and it wasn't. Uh, w- although I, I loved it, it wasn't actually until uh, uh, looking into doing this interview and researching the interview that I was like, "Oh, I love that movie!" and and you directed that one as well. Because I think the one that I I was uh, came aware of you particularly was the package, which we'll talk about down the road. But uh, no, the fifth the fifth commandment is is fantastic. I, I do enjoy that oh, movie. Thank you I like. very
3: much. Yeah, it was very very tough. I mean, it's you know, it's you're, you're entering. In- an environment where everything is foreign you know and uh, the way they make movies is slightly different it, it ended up being something I loved and really really enjoyed and had an enormous amount of respect for the Tide crew at the end of it they, they're, they're very dedicated but you 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 know as a film gets lower budget in, in the US the crew gets smaller and smaller you know and, and I, I, I made the last one I made the beautiful ones which is a very indeed black and white semi-art film has action in it. but we, we had you know eight or nine people on the crew at times on the fifth commandment, I would turn around we were doing a talking scene between two actors, maybe a single camera. I'd turn around, and there'd be nearly ninety ninety or a hundred it was just mind boggling you you'd see all these faces looking at you and and, and they just have an awful lot more people to do things you know you have people carrying cable, you have people carrying you know it's uh you know and I don't know whether I don't think they will come by car they will come you know. Public transport, but it's but it's just it's it's a very intimidating thing to turn around. and See, this huge wall of people all involved in making making the film, and the people are a little, little getting used to. It. Uh, but extras were very cheap, so we had scenes with 700 extras in, 300 extras, 100 extras, and it was you know it was really really fun to work on that scale on The Fifth Commandment. Uh, the stunts the stunts were interesting, and you know and, and getting getting their, the guys heads around how to you know how to do do this kind of stuff was. It you know it was a really really educational and wonderful sort of experience. A little bit like think, you know Joseph Conrad's Lord gym for about three or four months, where you become <laughs> a, a warrior. chief you know, uh, yeah. obviously you know, you're not going to war, but you are you're, you're having to you're having to get a huge amount of people to you know who are all there you know and want to help, but still you know you're, you're you know they they would go if you left if you. Gave no direction; they would to go the opposite direction for the direction you wanted, just because that's sort of a default position. It's a very strange thing, right. uh, but it was a fun one to do, and uh, a lot of logistics. And uh, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened without Rick, you who know, is a you know powerhouse of, of sort of you know the uh, uh, control at the head of head of the ship. But you know, yeah. put them all together, but, but, but certainly all the action they came up with and, and uh, making it happen was it was, it was fun. You know wandering other locations and seeing you come up with the work be exciting there and you know then solving that with, with that it really is a fun thing to do you know it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful place that you have as a director
1: yeah so exactly. Like yeah no it's great i mean we're we're big fans of sort of all different types of of action films and drama films and stuff so uh yeah when it when it's when it's a film like that that's that's good and kinetic and fun and exciting and lots of stuff going on then uh oh yeah we're, it's bound to be on our list <laughs>
3: yeah i mean, you know I, I took a i took a little break away from action with the beautiful ones which is more character driven it was and yeah. white. i want i want i i, I don't you know The point of doing that one, I directed 10 movies that had gone straight to DVD, with the exception of the package, which had a limited theatrical, but it was basically a DVD movie in in classic shape. And I just felt there was more to what I wanted to do. So what I decided to do with the black and white picture was, you know, when when you direct a DVD movie, you have a criteria, an M.O., a, a mandate that comes from the sales agent. And it's usually about six or eight things. You can't do this. You can't do that don't stay too long on this shot no, no violence where you hang on the violence you, know, you know, and I decided I wanted to make a film that basically defied all of those 10 mandates uh, uh, and so I did that with the beautiful ones and I don't know if we'll ever be able to sell it but it's a fun fun picture but right now my next picture I'm ready to go back to doing what, I'm, what I love and what I adore and, what I feel I'm best at, which is, which is action. I'm, I have a meeting with Scott Adkins later this morning, straight, actually straight after the, this, this telephone call with you guys. Wow. Uh, we're having, having coffee across the street and I want him, uh, in the next picture. I just gotta, you know, he, he likes we, we want you to have him in the next picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah.
3: He, did, he did a little film for me a long time ago called Pit Fighter, which was my first film. And he came on and did a little part in that. And, uh, I think he may even have not had his work permit to work in America. I think we just snuck him onto the set of Universal, <laughs> threw him in, gave him some dialogue, and we got on very well. And We've been talking about a film for the last 10 years, uh, and we've had scripts sent to us, and, you know, it, it usually goes like this. this you know, Scott wants to do it if you direct it, and, and I want to do it if Scott's in it. We read the script, and both of us look at each other and goes, "This isn't this isn't the one, this is not... This isn't the one for us to do it. And it's like, okay, let's move on. Let's wait till the good one comes along. And I think we found one that works for both of us. And I think it will be phenomenal. It will be it will, it will be my coming out movie. And I hope it will be his one in terms of theatrical domestic, U.S. domestic, you know, because at the moment uh, he has a very rabid following internationally, but less of a following here domestically in the, in the U.S. And I think that's wrong, you know. Yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, I we I... both we both watched Ninja Two uh, Shadow of a Tear, and we're just you know why isn't this on you know three thousand screens? I mean, the, the, what him and um, Isaac Florentine does d- does on that movie yes, is incredible. You know, especially when you compare yes, it definitely. to
3: Isaac I, I and I talk about this all the time. I love Isaac. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's fantastic. He's very very kind to me. He's he set me up with different distributors. He took one of my scripts and uh, in the early days and helped get it seen. He's one of the, that's, and, and by the way, that's extraordinarily rare for a director to help another director, for obvious reasons. There's only one director per movie, but right. he he is one of those very rare souls who is giving, generous, helpful, uh, and is not is not scared, is not is not uh, worried and, and concerned. He knows he has a talent. He knows he's very very good at that, and he doesn't. You know, he'll help other people. You know, I have I have more respect for him than than many many. So called A list directors are working out there at the moment. And if there were any justice in this business, which sadly there isn't, as we all know, he would be making theatrical movies, and so would Scott. But I'm hoping this one that we do together will be the one that sort of breaks down that invisible barrier and, you know, yes. notice. Because, I mean, you know, Scott's got the looks, he's got the talent as an actor, he's, and he's more than qualified as a as, a, as an action yeah. performer. It's, and it's kind of sick. The way, old days, isn't it? Yeah, in the old days, that would have <laughs> been enough, you know. Uh, we're just dealing with a strange market at the moment which is, has become almost ludicrous in its uh, in its sort of necessity of having an A-list actor in there so what happens is we end up spending half of the budget for Bruce Willis or or, or, or twice the budget on Bruce Willis making the film for 200,000 and he works for two days which is which is absurd you know he's wonderful but you can't make a great movie that way you know yeah. Uh, and this is not this is not the way to make the movies and it's there's there's going to be an end to this formula because the films are not good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have to get out there with people like Scott and make fantastic movies because ultimately there will also be a market for good, good movies.
1: Definitely. Oh, you know, and, we, and, we thought when the whole uh, Scott Atkins for Batman thing went round the internet, we were kind of hoping that no, we didn't think he'd be Batman, but we kind of hoped that that would give him some sort of higher profile and yes. give him a bit of a chance just in just in internet chat and it's stuff it.
3: Right? I think it did. I think with things like that, you won't notice until he gets that big right. movie. And then people say, well, he came onto our radar first with that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the interesting thing about success. It, it's it's happening. You just don't realize it until that final that final straw, you know, uh, yeah. breaks, breaks it. And then it's like, yeah, no, well, we first heard about him during, you know, Warners first heard about him during the uh, that whole thing for Batman, you know, because yeah. they do—they have people watching, they have people watching the internet, they have people following that trends, sure. you know, and, and, and they do know. Uh, you've just got to become so overwhelmingly popular if you decide to do it that way that they—they—they they literally cannot not take notice. And For example, with Mortal Kombat reboot, where you know. They initially started out by suing Kevin, and then suddenly said, "Oh shit, <laughs> this has become so popular. We look like idiots if we sue Let's make a let's make a mini series out of it," you know, yeah. uh, which is awesome. It's one of those wonderful stories, uh, uh, but they happen very rarely. They have to be so overwhelmingly popular, you know. Uh, you, know I, I, you guys are familiar with those ones, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we just think that, obviously, Isaac and Scott, they have that, like Gareth Evans and Eco Uwais, like they have that great partnership, and they're making some great movies, and uh, obviously you've done <laughs> some uh, um, great films, and we can't wait to see you and Scott work together as well. That's great. So how did you make the transition into directing? Was it, was it, something, was it actually something you always wanted to do, and you did the stunts yeah, by I, way? I've, of I've
3: been, I'm, I've been hungry as a, as, as a, you know, a very, very hungry MF, right from the very very start, you know, from I, I was directing music videos from the UK at 17. uh... Every and, you know, every time I got a little bit of cash together, it was spent on you know, Arriflex SD cameras that we buy from Shepherd's Bush. You know, where the Indian guys sell them. You know, the stuff that went to in, went from the BBC to India and then came back to Shepherd's Bush and they're selling it back to you know, the film students. We, I, you know, I bought my first Aeroflex there. We made films on standard sixteen, music videos, whatever we could. Short films, was, you know, every t- you know. My first stunt job was, you know, where well, I actually got paid contractually was uh, Total Recall, which was Mexico City in I think nineteen eighty nine, right? Yeah. Okay. So I came back from that one, and I, you know, uh, I used that money to make a short film, which which won a few awards, and it, it, it was there. It was always the. Obviously, it, it was you know, unfor- you know and, and Vic. I've talked to him. And I, you know, my uncle Vic Armstrong. And I talked to him. He said when he was a stunt man, he just wanted to be the best stunt man. When he became a second unit director, he just wanted to be the best be director. And I was so, so admiring of that because that definitely wasn't me. I just wanted to be a director right from the get-go. You know, yeah. and everything else was a was a means to an end. I loved stunt work and I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the science behind the stunts. You know, in terms of finding something extraordinarily dangerous that the director wants, and then being able to come up with that, uh, being able to calm people down, being able to take over a meeting of very, very intelligent, very confident adults, you know, who've been mm-hmm. in the business a long time, being able to take over that meeting and take them from sheer panic <laughs> to the comfort and ease. And now they know how it's happening. And now they're happy. And now the insurance company's happening. And now the producers are happy. And then the actor, who's quite often the equivalent of a highly strong racehorse pony, you know, is, is 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 nervous about how you're gonna do this and now you have to take him down, you have to calm him and explain how it's gonna happen methodically without without a lot of emotion, without an awful lot of sort of hyperbole, and you, 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 you bring them down and then you see that look of calm come over their face and they suddenly realize, wow, I, not only is it safe, but I mean I look like a badass too. Yeah. And this is exciting, it's just fun And this is learning to deal with actors. It's learning to deal with it, you know, they, they, you don't talk to them like a normal person, you, you talk to them in a way that they they grasp with regard to their character, with regard to their their standing, and and and, and that's you know that 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 was extraordinarily important to me, uh, and enjoyed it an awful lot. So it was always, but always at the back of my head was you know how the fuck am I going to direct? How am I going to get this guy? This guy Can he be in one of my movies at some point? Let's make sure that's a that's a that's a you know relationship that I can come back to. You know, uh, it was always there. And it was a motivator, and I'm sort of ashamed to admit it because as I say, I'd love to be like you know, the old, old school, you know, just, you know, move on to the next job methodically, but I never was. Every opportunity I, I got, I, I would take off and make a short, a low-budget movie or a trailer, you know, or a music video or a commercial that, you know, shooting for spec and any, any angle I could, you know, to uh, every residual check that came in that was more than enough to pay the rent. If there was any left over at the end, it would be spent on making a movie, you know. Uh, and that's, you know, that was my, that was my uh, my training ground you know sure. there's nothing like spending your own money to uh, to teach you how to be careful with your budget
0: yeah of course yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: you know I try not to now but it happens you know it, it, it always happens and you know if I read about my heroes you know the Francis the George Lucas Peckinpahs you know it, 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 it was more than you were always more than a mercenary there was always a certain amount of mercenary to some of them and, and the way they would you know, tell their life story in anecdotal form it would sound like it's mercenary but if you peel the onion layer away, you realise there was just an incredible love for the craft and at the end of the day, if you haven't worked for a year and a job comes along, you're going to be able to try and make something good of that job because you need that job and you want that job because it's more than just work, you know? Uh, And that's that's something I I, I realised from the get-go. And and consequently probably said yes to a few films I perhaps shouldn't, but uh, you know, if I define the films that I wish I perhaps hadn't directed uh, and i and I could go back in time and not do those, uh, I would have lost out on many opportunities that came through them you know and that's the, that's the funny thing about the business you know yeah. uh, and I'm not going to mention those films because the people involved would be terribly terribly upset to so know that I was ashamed <laughs> of them but uh, <laughs> but there are one or two there that I always cringe when people people mention uh, but it's it's fine I think that's that's part of the uh, part of the adventure isn't it yeah oh, i, I...
2: Don't think it'll be one of them. But Eric, uh, Eric Roberts has been a mainstay in movies for years, and one of my favourite favourite of his films is The Butcher, which oh, I he love you're
3: fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah, how was uh, Eric Roberts to work with?
3: Eric's wonderful. He's in, he's in a beautiful Ones I'm working with him next week as well. I'm bringing him in for a music video. He, he you know, he, he was someone I loved. I, I, one of the most influential films on me as a young man was a film called Runaway Train, which I just I just yeah, thought was incredible. Film. in it's and it's. You know, an epic film made about an extraordinarily simple story. You know, that the, the yeah. manages the epic. You know, which are, which is which is, you know, in, in pure cinema terms, that's that's very very difficult to pull off. Uh, and I, I, you know, and then Pope of Greenwich Village and and all the pictures he did from there. Best you know, of the best. Which yeah, best of the best of course. <laughs> which are which are which are wonderful pictures. And and you know, he's he's you know, at the time we were very upset when we when we hired him. We had expected to get a bigger name. Uh you know, it came down to, guys, you've got to film this, you've got to have a cast member and we had this list of fourteen actors with Eric as the last name on that list. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, if it all fails, we'll hire Eric. Uh and then it all failed. Hire <laughs> uh, Eric. And so we were I was I was terribly you know, terribly, terribly disappointed. But then once we started working with him I found a human a human there a character, someone who who loved movies, had great stories and was willing to get into it and and, and and you know, he became a became a friend, which often is the case when you know, when you're warned about someone like he's gonna be difficult, he's gonna to be tough and you go, and then it's uh thing being wonderful just needs to be someone that's listened to, needs to be someone that's directed, worked with, you know, uh, and then, you know, it, I, I thought he I thought he brought an awful lot to that picture and uh, I think he's I fired, I fired him, you know, two or three times since then, so that's you know, I like to work with, with actors I know how to work with, you know. Yeah, uh, it it's, it's not so much a laziness or a comfort zone, but it that has a certain amount to do with it. But it's also if you know someone and you have a shorthand and an ability to communicate with them, you can push into unknown territories together more easily than perhaps if it's a stranger you're you're, you're, you're working with and you're, you're not sure where they're going to be. You know, if it's yeah. something that requires a leap of faith, for example, the beautiful ones which is the film I just finished, I wrote for Watson Call, who I'd worked with in Green, you know, Green Street against Part Two. Uh, we got on very, very well on that picture. The picture was very, very difficult. Uh, there was a lot of rewriting, You know, usually 15 minutes before we shot the scene. Uh, it, and, and he helped an awful lot with that. And wherever that film ended up in terms of your estimation, take my word for it, where it started out on paper was far, far worse. <laughs> and it was brought, it was brought, to where we made it and as far as I'm concerned it was a huge achievement to get it where we had it. I wish it could have gone even further and become even more wonderful but but, you know know, films are made over 16 days and that's it baby that's all you get. But my relationship with Ross was such that that I wrote another script for him knowing that we could push even further into territory that we didn't know about because we had this familiarity and i think we've done really really good work and a beautiful ones so i'm excited for you to see that did you could you uh, find the trailer online did you see that uh, least have a taste of it if you go to my website jessevjohnson.com it's on the front page there you just click on all the
2: oh great I, okay I'll, we shall, uh, we shall share that on please, the please. Uh, group page
3: Great. He's he's fab. He was on say uh, uh Band of Brothers which I think everyone remembers him for, and then the T V yeah. show Crash and then White Colour. He's he's an awesome English English guy, so we're, you know, we're hoping to do something with an English kind of release on that, you know, talking with the with the sales company that'll actually help us push that a little bit Okay, know, cool. English boys coming
1: home. I don't know. Yeah, if there's yeah. if there is a release either in America or England, let us know and we'll uh, um you know uh, docs in England so he can go <laughs> he can go see it there or uh, I'm in America. If we've got both both fantastic. nations covered, so <laughs> yeah, we've got
3: very, you
1: very back. Good. Um, yeah, very good. So um, I
3: was very lucky on that one. I managed to
1: get Ed Lauter in. You go, are you guys familiar with? Him? Oh yeah, no, I know Ed Lauter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
3: yeah he- it was, I, we're not sure if this is his last film or second from last, let uh, he you know he he was obviously very, very ill when he worked with him, but he's absolutely fantastic in the movie, and boy, oh boy, talk about anecdotes, I mean just wonderful yes. Lee marvin you know charles Johnson stories it's just it was just great working with him. I love it when you get to, you know I think that's the other reason I like Eric so much is you know you, you get these stories about John Houston about working with Bob Fossey and all, all these cats who, who I'm a huge fan of, and you have this first hand. This first-hand anecdotal sort of, you know, uh, you know uh, storytelling, which is is wonderful. It makes me feel that I was there for for the longest time. I was trying to hire as many crew members as I could that who worked with or for Steve McQueen, uh, uh, Sam Peckinpah, who is someone that I that I, that I wanted to hear.
0: Yeah. how did he handle
3: this? How did he do this? What? what, what how did he write his set? And that's that's the wonderful thing about this game. You know, you. you you grew up in England reading all these books on directors and movies, which, you know, which is my film school. I was buying as many, many books from hand bookstores as I could. he would become fascinated with the A director. I had seven books on Peckinpah, you know, or, you know, uh, uh, I think I've got nine or ten on John Ford and, you read them cover to cover, and then you come to the US and you work to the PA, and you realise that grip or that gaffer or that you know or that makeup person worked with him on seven or eight movies. And you get to sit with them and hear the stories, and and, and that that was probably one of the most precious aspects of learning the ropes here as a uh, as a young PA slash AD. Then obviously turning to stunts after that as well, you know, uh, which is, which was a blast.
1: Yeah, and definitely, and you've sort of been uh, around since. Filmmaking was still being done traditionally you know with obviously with a camera and a big crew and and all the rest of it, and practical Absolutely. stunts and practical all the way through to sort of present day with and you know we want to talk a, a little later about uh, where filmmaking is going but um uh, also on your another other point where you were saying about working with the same kind of people, I know casual film viewers might not realize but like f- certainly me as a fanboy and other other people I know, we love the idea of a community, like we love the idea of people working with the same kind of group again and we love the idea of there being, especially Doc and I, like an action community or a martial arts community or a stunt community where people come together and they're working on the same stuff and they all have their, all sharing ideas and things and it, I think it adds something to the, to the finished article, I think it adds something to I, the... I think it's yeah.
3: enormous I think, I, 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 I Found it by accident, and then when you analyze it, it makes complete sense. There's a there's a writer director called Mike Hurst. He's he's from England. He's over here. He, he rereads, rewrites, critiques, kicks my ass on everything that I write or direct. I've made him a producer for the last three movies that I produced or, 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 or directed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he, you know he's an ex martial arts fighter as well. But he's you know uh, and and you have to and then you know Isaac Florentine and then I have. Uh, a stunt collaborator called Luke LaFontaine, who's a sword master, uh, martial artist, fight choreographer, who you know, I work with pretty much consistently over the last eight or nine years. Uh, and then there's the the MC Monkeys, who are Johnny Yang's team of martial artists. I They don't, don't make a lot of short movies, but they're breaking into bigger and bigger movies through me and through my family and through other coordinators and just doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. Do you know those guys, the MC Monkeys?
1: Uh, not by name, but I'm sure we've seen lots of films from yeah, them, uh, them in or lots of stuff from them in.
3: They've done a lot of work for Machinima. The uh, they, they did Sleeping Dogs, which is a short film that got huge, huge attention. You know, a Chinese martial arts style picture right. shot here. Uh, that, I think that was how I discovered them and then brought them on for, I've, I've had, had them work for me. You bounce these ideas back and you innovate together and you push the boundaries and you... you you look at each other and you copy from each other, you're inspired by each other, and then you try and outdo each other, you know? It's yeah. it's, it's the perfect way of doing it, and, and it has to happen. It has to happen. You look at Again, you look at our heroes, you look at, you know, the USC group, you know, for example, and of course, I'm not making, not making a, a, a comparison between our talents, but you look at Mamilius, you know, Francis Copeland, and George Lucas together, they, they critiqued and argued, and, mm. you know, the, the worst thing in the world you can do is surround yourself by a bunch of guys that say, that's great, boss, wonderful.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, they push, yeah. Keep pushing. It, it yeah. really
3: is, and uh, you know, it, in the same respect, when I have my, you know, my my default actor, so I love working with Jerry Trimble Jr., who was ex-Golden Boy, you know, three times world champion kickboxer, now a fabulous actor. I've, I've worked in probably in, worked everything I can for the last eight or nine years. A tremendous actor, actor like like a young Kirk Douglas, uh, who's in the package. He's the blonde, spiky head guy that fights with right. uh, Steve mm-hmm. in the alleyway. Uh, Keith David, Eric Roberts, uh, Burune <laughs> with mine. Uh, the, these are cats who I just truly enjoy working with and they come to the table with ideas with with opinions and and with thoughts you know what's McCall and, and that and that's important that's important for pushing you know uh, if, if, you know, if they're not they're not it's not too laziness, it's too an exciting work you know, environment and, and coming up with fresh fresh ideas. I think it's very, very important. I agree with you guys. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, predominantly I, I think you're talking more from an action an action standpoint, right? You know, uh
1: yeah, but I mean, even some even people like Scorsese and De Niro did their best work together, or, you know, that that kind of thing, or even someone who does sort of dopey comedy, someone like Kevin Smith, who for the first part of his career did dopey comedies. He worked with the same people again and again and again. And it, it adds so much to that, I think.
3: No, it really does. I'd hoped I'd had a relationship with uh, Stone Cold. We we had three more projects that we that we jumped through the hoops on. You know, i was flown out to, to New Orleans. We were prepping a film for a month and a half, but it was just one of those sad situations. The films you know didn't get financed and yeah. fell apart. You know, you know, bumbling bumbling producers that not quite you know make 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 the thing work on paper. Uh, and I think that frustrated him. And uh, we're still pals, but I think he's he he wrote me a very very nice email just saying. He's loving what he's doing with his reality shows and, you know, it for the time being, that's probably a safer place for him to be in terms of keeping the paychecks coming in, you know? Right. Uh, which was very upsetting to me because I'd hope that we we go straight into another action movie. I'd, I'd actually written something, you know, especially for him. So maybe that'll, that'll happen. Yeah. But with regard to, with regard to you know, uh, any of these guys, you know, certainly Scott, who, you know, this would be the second time I've worked with him, if he managed to get this picture going. And, and uh, you know, Matt S. Hughes, who I love working with, he's uh, yeah. another... Uh, a uh, guy that, that sort of vanished for a few years, but is, is phenomenally talented. Big, big martial arts, big guy who can just move like a, you know, moves like a, a guy a third of his size. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys are cool cats to have around. So yeah, no, definitely, definitely agree with you. You know? uh, need to find, need to find that alliance and, and make it work. Uh, yeah. Ross McCall is, is fantastic. He's of like an action star, but he's very, he's very, very good with the movement. You know, with, yeah. with, with that. With
1: that stuff, incredibly good. Uh, well, I mean, and I'm glad you, you sort of bring up Steve Austin, but also the the the, the idea that it's not always just about the action. Because one, actually, one of my favorite films of yours is definitely The Package. um I, I think you got a great and different performance out of both Steve Austin and Dolph Lundgren. I mean, I both saw them do things in that movie that I hadn't really seen them do be before. Um, worked and really, really hard, on that. yeah, to get
3: Steve to get Steve to wear that suit at the beginning, yes. Yeah. One of the toughest things really? imaginable is. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I I, I, I could spec some computer to show him what it looked like. I said, you got to, you know, I want you to look slightly different for this. I want you to look, you know, cut and nicely. And even for the rest of the movie, we put him in a designer outfit with a right. neck And it was, it, you know, because his default position is a baseball hat and a camouflage you know, hunting jacket. You know? Sure. Which is what what he really you know, really feels comfortable with, and you know there was lots of talk about well, my fans aren't going to expect, you know, they're not going to like this. I should just trust me. Let's do something a little different. And for him, that was a huge risk to take. And my respect, I have a, you know a lot of respect for somebody who takes a risk. And he knew he was going out of his familiar territory. He was going somewhere that was and and. To the average film guy, they're like, "Oh, it's just wear a different outfit." Directors going to tell them what to wear, and that's it. It doesn't work like that at all. Yeah. You no, know, you are, you are, you are less a commodity as a director on a picture like Wait, that. He, Steve they're Austin's not a brand. Steve. Yeah. They're not they're not gonna replace Steve. Guess who they're gonna replace if things don't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But in a weird uh, way and, that that fear in him or that risk that he took, it translated into a, a sort of a weirdly soulful performance. There's some real depth to so, what yeah. he did in you know, a in an odd yeah.
3: way. Oh, I'm so pleased you noticed that. I'm so thrilled. Thank you very, very much. That's, that that was exactly what they're trying to do to come up with something a little vulnerable and it's tough because he's you know, he's an incredible human specimen. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> how how could I make this guy vulnerable? And the only way I could think of was with, with this wonderful wife and this sort of relationship here and this brother who's a complete waste of space and you know, but, but loves him and respects him and, and now you now you're starting to chip away at him you know, psychologically and he becomes a little bit vulnerable because physically I, you know, if you look at Steve Austin, this is a guy that you could never ever buy as being vulnerable. You can't play him as an alcoholic because right. he clearly works out every day, and an alcoholic who's in a state of repair doesn't work out every day. You know, so you, you've you've got very limited means to giving him some kind of and, and obviously you don't really have a character if you don't have some kind of vulnerability. You know, so it was it was fun doing that, and I think he enjoyed it. He, like, he had a, you know, he told me he had a blast, and we we. We will do it again. I think it's, yeah. it's going to happen. We talk. We talk quite regularly, and he's, you know, he's got. You know, I think we'll be able to tempt him back into doing pictures. It just needs to be the right project. That's yeah. absurd. Uh,
1: but no, I mean, I, I, get it. I get frustrated all the time because you hear critics reviewing action movies and they just go, oh, it's the same thing. He's doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing. And, you know, Jason Statham's another one that gets that leveled at him all the time. But you see some of the movies he's done, especially the ones, weirdly, he shoots in England, like uh, Blitz or Redemption or Hummingbird, as it was called. He, you know, he does that like Steve Austin did in the package. He does that not afraid to be beaten up, not afraid to be soulful, not afraid to have an inner monologue. Like, There's so much more to these actors than, than what most people normally credit them with, and it, it's, it's such it's a shame. It's
3: frustrating to me. It's very frustrating. And to me, it makes me believe to a degree that people don't read film history books. Because right. if you pick up a book of film reviews from the 1970s, you'll see that they're reaming Clint Eastwood. They're reaming Steve McQueen. They're reaming Charles Bonson. He can't act. He's terrible. Same monotone, craggy-faced guy at the front of the the film. He doesn't do anything different. All he is is this. You go back to the 60s and the 50s. They're reaming John Wayne. They're reaming (laughs) Bobby Bogart. They're they're reaming Jimmy Cagney. It's like, well, you know, have you noticed the theme here, guys? You don't like action heroes. Yeah. (laughs) You think they don't do much. And then, as 30, 40 years go by, people look back and go, oh, God, he was incredible. Wasn't he wonderful? Wasn't, yeah. Didn't he bring interesting nuance? He played himself, but he played himself so well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that's exactly what Chainsaw Staten's doing now. That's yeah. exactly what you know, Stone Cold's doing. They, they are playing themselves. They know their instrument. Uh, there are variations to it. It's subtle, but they're not going to come in there and you know play a clown jumping around, you know, <laughs> and, and you know. Although some of them can, you know, Mark De can. But, you know, right. he has talent. There's a, there's a true Shakespearean actor, and some of them do. But uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's
1: amusing to me, you know, and you can't take too much, too much notice of it. Yeah. You know? And just and just to let you know, obviously, we had the very talented and very sadly departed Darren Shalavi on the show. Um, and when we spoke to him, he had nothing but praise for you and the film, the package, and seemed incredibly proud of it, especially compared to some other uh, straight to DVD films he'd been doing recently. He was I, very proud of it. I
3: just love I just love Darren. I, it, I was heartbroken by it. It was a very very sad affair, you know, I, I, you know. I'll never forget because we, we were in a room at the Roosevelt Hotel with his family. It's myself, Michael Jai White, uh, four or five stunt men, Stovall, who's one of you know the best fight guys in the business at the moment, only uh, Barbara action And there was no dry, the dry eye in this. Everyone was crying, and it was it was, a, uh, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary, sad, you know, sad thing, and it just, just one of those incredible, incredible awful moments that you'd do anything in the world to, to change, you know, mm. it, just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And it was, it, 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 the, the only thing I can attribute it to, because we all look for reasons when something like this happens, is it, it's just a very, very tough game. And he was the same age as me. He was 42, 43. And to keep up at that level that Darren was at, uh, he was always obsessed, obsessed with being better than the competition. And yeah. in his case, the competition was 21 years old you know, guys coming in straight out of, out of, you know, out of gym, you know, and, and who can do standing double backflips. And, and Darren was obsessed with being not only as good as them, but being better than them in every every respect. And he was working out way more than he should have done. And, and, and you know, he had an hip injury. And, I mean, it's just, you know, that he should have fixed a long time ago. And, it, it, you know, it, it just is an absolute testament to the incredible, incredible person that he was, you know, that, 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 that it happened that way. I mean, it, you know, and people, people, Diminish that, you know, the, the hard work that these guys do to, to style in these pictures. Steve Austin, every bone in his body is broken. He, he you know, he can't straighten his right arm because the tendons replace. He has cadaver tendons in his knee. You know, he broke his neck and his skull. And this is for, for your performance. This is what this guy has gone through to entertain you, you know. Mm-hmm. Scott Adkins, incredible. Incredible punishments. Scott Atkins does to himself to do these kicks, and, and yeah. you know what he's doing the aerial work the seven twenties, the, the you know the five you know five tens. I mean, these are incredibly punishing, but he does them to entertain, and it's for your benefit. It's it's you know it's incredible. It's in, you know, and it's just very very hard on on a person. And the. Uh, you know, Darren was a good enough actor. He could have relied on his acting skills at this point in his career, I believe, and just kept the martial arts to a certain degree. But he was so desperate to show that he could do that and do it better. And he did, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's all oh, you know mentally and
1: physically. Oh yeah, from his earliest films and right right through, he was uh, he was always a joy to watch and had some incredible moves. So uh, yeah, so a, a real shame. But no, I just saw recently there's an article that the John Wick directors have talked about again, and this is something that comes up. You know, there's no stunt awards. There's no awards for us. There's no Oscar for stunt people. Jason Statham said the same thing. There's no uh, awards or things for other stunt people or or uh, martial yeah, artists think- or. You know those guys.
3: sadly there's a uh, sadly there's a very very straightforward explanation for that and until we come up with a uh, well i i think I've, i think I've come up with a way of the, the, the explanation why there isn't an action award is because it would detract from the director's award for that picture because mm. if you felt that another person was in charge of creating perhaps the most commercial aspect to that film or memorable aspect to that film that would take away from his position. And and you're never going to make someone happy about that, you know. And at the moment the director credit is one of the most important there. So the only way to do that is if you give an action award, it goes to the stunt coordinator, second year director, and the director. Right. And you would mm. you would do that and then at that point you're appeasing the ego of the director, and that's the only way you're ever gonna get it because I mean it's not like a makeup award, you know, if you if you take the best makeup for the best sound or the best camera work, you're not stealing any of the glory from that director, <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you make the Bourne supremacy and then that wins a second unit directing award, that second unit director has just benefited. And, and, and at the end of the day, what did the director do? He, if he didn't do the action, he did those four and a half minutes worth of dialogue. <laughs> you know, people are gonna, you know, it, it, it sort of makes sense to me. You have to imagine the incredible egos that are in control at, at the level that we're talking about. You know?
1: Yeah, of course.
3: Uh, I think you're not gonna see a stunt a stunt Oscar, an action Oscar until you include the first you know, director within that, within that category and then he gets it and he's like oh this is fantastic, he'll go up and he'll get his chance at the podium and say well I didn't win the best director of, of Oscar but my film won the best action and here I am with my, with my share of the Oscar You know, that, that, that way you're going to have some leverage you're going to be able to move forward but it's going to be a tough one otherwise
1: that's but that's a really good idea though. Do like what they do with the best movie, and they have all the producers up. Yep. Yeah, yep. do it with a, yeah. That would be that would be a much better way. That would be great.
3: You you have to. I, otherwise, it will never happen. There's a reason it hasn't happened. There's a very there's a funny anecdote about uh, uh, John Ford and stagecoach with uh, you know uh, uh, what's the name the stunt, stunt man on that one? Uh, yes, that Yakimov and. The producer was watching dailies for John Ford and Yak, and they watched this incredible stunt that he did, you know, when he went under the horses. And he directed second unit for that sequence as well. And the producer at the back of the theater clapped his hands and said, Yak, you've made the movie fantastic. And in his biography, Knut said that he looked forward and saw John Ford just look over his shoulder just slightly and then look back again. And he said, That was the last film I ever did for John Ford. <laughs> oh, wow. Because the director had just given the credit for the movie to the stunt coordinator, right. and that's what you're always going to be running into with mm. any kind of award that you're going to give to stuntmen. Uh, you're always going to be dealing with the incredible ego required of a director at that level. You know. Right. So that's my that's my shot. Sure. And that, uh, but, but back to the basics of it. Yes, absolutely, there should be something that recognises recognises the work and the effort and the energy and the scientific skill that went into it. And what always frustrates me is when you watch the uh, best Oscar for sound effects editing, they always show the action sequence in the film. <laughs> <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> like, do you honestly think that that was the reason that sequence looks good? Yeah. <laughs> but they, that's right. That's my personal...
0: No, personal
1: I, I completely agree. Yeah. I agree with that.
2: Uh, so you did the uh, DC comic short movies, uh, Lobo and Wonder Woman, which were great. Uh, were these were these done for fun, or were these to show studios what you could do? Uh,
3: there's a, there's a, and Isaac Florentine will echo this. There's an incredible, incredible snobbery within the studio system. We all want to be directing films to the studio. But, you yeah. know, no, no one wants to direct direct to DVD movies. The money's not good enough The films. tough to make wonderful, they're very, very hard work to make good, so everyone wants to make studio movies, but no studio will hire a director based upon his director dvd movies, it just won't happen, it is just just not going to happen because as opposed to hiring someone who's never directed anything in their eyes, you have proven you can direct, but you can only direct a film that went to DVD, which means that it's lesser a risk for them to hire someone off the street who's never even directed a movie and that's the strange methodology behind it. My managers said, you know, Kaylee Marsh is fabulous and has, you know, understands the studio system very, very well. Said, look, if this is what you really want to do, you have to direct a short film that they can watch in two minutes, which blows them away, uh, and like let them know that, yes, yeah, exactly, let them know that you're someone that can do something of the level that they're at. You know, so choose something a little bit, little bit interesting, and, and at the time, no one had no one had done Wonder Woman. The only thing you had was the awful, awful TV show that was, I mean, if you look at it now, it's, it's possibly the most dated TV show imaginable. I mean, it's, it's really, really corny and cheesy. And that was the only thing that was out there. They tried to do the Adrian Palicki thing, but it, you know, been cut off at pilot stage and uh, yeah. So I, you know, I decided let's go back to basics. You know, she's a warrior woman. Let's hire a real martial artist. You know, Nina uh, was a was a bare knuckle fighter before she became a singer. Let's hire a real martial artist. Scar her up, make her look like a fighter. Forget the big tits and forget all that that crappy sexist stuff. You know, from the 50s and 60s, and let's make her into a badass chick that looks like she'd she actually knock you out. Uh, give her an outfit that's all scraped up and cut and dirty and greasy and looks like it's been through a battle or two. Uh, and let's put her up against the Nazis, you know. And I, I, I thought it was a fun idea. I went out and did it, and it was it was enormously popular. And I think I had more meetings based upon that short than all 10 of my <laughs> like direct-to-video movies uh, combined.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my next question was going to be, you know, uh, Kevin Smith recently stated that you should get the Wonder Woman gig, uh, and did that give you a confidence boost? And did you get any contact from anybody in <laughs> the studio get me, get,
3: get me an ego, boost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, confidence is, is pretty pretty solid as it is, but uh, it was lovely. It was a really really wonderful wonderful thing for him to do, and and it just it just proved there's another cool cat out there. You know, there's not many there's not many cast directors that that go out on 11 and, and say things like that. And he's awesome, and what a fantastic, fantastic thumbs up to get from someone. Validation, you know, how how really cool is that? So, very, very fun. I think it contributed to a lot of interest. And, you know, the, you know uh, I'm in a position at the moment where there's tons of projects, almost there. You know what I mean? There's, there's, mm. there's, there's, there's at least, uh, I think we've got about eight at the moment, I talked to my manager last night about it, that that, that, that are all in front of me with great actors attached. Great projects, and I'm in the running. We're not sure is it going to go? Is it going to go this way? Is it going to go that way? And in the meantime, you know, you just have to keep forging ahead with your own projects as well. For example, the one with Scott that we're trying to put together. Uh, if a studio picture comes, it's awesome. And that, at that point, we're in the running. It's like a small, a small community, and then you get into that community, but you know, if you if you look at these guys that have these huge studio pictures, some of them have failure after failure after failure, but, but because they're within that, within that. That group, they seem to keep existing, and you're either in it or you're out of it, uh, and that's that's the end goal is to get within that within that you know that that small fraternity, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they're there. The projects are there, and I can taste them and I'm talking with the right people, and meeting with the right people based on the Wonder Woman, based on the track record, based on the high level of the stunt so coordinating and, and second unit work that's there. But in the meantime, as they say, uh, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to keep keep forging through. Really, really cool action, which is
1: what I what I love, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. And and so, uh, just to sort of uh, wind it up, then um, you obviously love action movies, but you you also show in your films drama and strong performances and interesting photography and so on. Obviously, it's you're saying that you want to continue on that path. But um, what new things are you looking to bring to the genre? And is there any other genres you'd like to tackle or anything else you'd like to do going forward? I, yeah,
3: I don't. I don't really think it's all story driven you know it's it's absolutely you know if the script is wonderful, you go to it, and then the one thing I will say is that to do good action uh when people say they love the action in a movie, what they really mean is they loved the story they yes. loved the movie and mm-hmm. the action was great. you know people say, "Oh give me a car chase so I can bullet, give me a fight scene I like can fight club, give me you know and then you Break down. It, the car chase and bullet is is five minutes, but you've got a half hour build up, you know, and you've got this wonderful character and you're into it, and you're watching it. By the time the car chase comes, you're actually on the edge of your seat anyway. And in, and in Fight Club, the same thing. It's a minuscule compared with the build up and the character. And if you if you if you knit that beautiful story together and, and and create characters that you're involved in and invested in, and there's a sense, a real sense of jeopardy and a real sense of drama. By the time you show that action scene if it's a well-made action scene, you've got them. You've got the audience. It's a wonderful thing, you know? Uh, so for me, story is always first. Story, story, and then story. And one, once that's solid, the action speaks for itself. And I, I, I adore action. I, 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 I like the adrenaline flow that you get in the movie theater. I want to see the audience leaning forwards, edging towards the front of their seat. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, that tense position you get. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw American Sniper, but I, I just loved watching the audience in that picture, you know? Uh, While well, the, film was playing out i was looking over everyone as they're leaning forward completely still <laughs> no one yeah. shifting position at all you know no one coughing you know they're, they're there and they're in the trenches with this guy it's such a visual visual experience and you know that's 3d filmmaking for me not fucking not not goggles you know not not not, right. not not you know 3d filmmaking is putting the audience in that environment in a way that they can't argue with you've got them you know yeah. uh, got them by the nose you know uh and, and and that's that's what that's what's exciting to me. And and action is my way of doing that because I adore it. But yes, it, it, it emanates from story. Uh genre, love to do a Western. Oh you know, yeah, there would be I I'm, I'm an English boy that played Cowboys and came to America, I want to do a Western. I, I will do one I think I have this uh, a music video coming up uh, after this one I do next week, which is a, a country in Western and it gives me a chance finally to play with that genre, but yeah. Nice. My, my office is full of all of that kind of memorabilia and books on the old West and old photographs, the old tintypes.
1: Uh, and have you been uh, out I, to sort of Monument Valley or Old Tucson or anywhere like that? Every
3: or? time I can. Yeah, 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 I went, yeah. I, I, I've worked in Utah twice and visited, you know, visited, you know the the circles you know, national park there and just just adore it. You know, it's uh, you know when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll see the sets where they shot the uh, the the Dollar Westerns.
1: And, oh, in Spain, yeah,
3: uh, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, love. Love, love that genre. At some point, will and hoping that you know this next one from Tarantino. I know it's Tarantino, so it's difficult to set a trend with them because it it looks like it looks like plagiarism. But hopefully, it sets some kind of a trend for films of that genre that can make money and that you know, that could start to oh so, it's you know, there is a life in the, in a western, you know, beyond yeah. beyond just Fenton's movies, you
1: know. They've done uh, some stuff on TV, and there's the odd one that comes out sort yeah, of here Dead and World there, and, and uh, things like that. So I mean, I think it's a it's a genre that keeps trying to resurface. You know, it keeps having these spurts, yeah. but uh, uh, hopefully it will. Hopefully they'll 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 move into that. Um, you know, obviously at the moment, I love the
3: Second World War. I, I I have you know, it's always interesting to me. There's lots of stories. uh, I, I'm not sure how feasible that is. I have a uh, uh, autobiography on my desk at the moment, an un- unpublished galley from a uh, Korean officer, an officer who was in the Korean War, an American officer, which is a fabulous, hair-raising, hair-raising story. And I, I, I feel, you know, we're losing vets from the Korean War at an incredible rate at the moment. And yeah. I think, I think that's it's, it. Was extraordinarily violent, extraordinary personal experience, and, and just just epic in, in story scope. And, no, I, I, you know, in recent times, uh, if you discount Korean, you know, South Korean movies that were made about the war, there's really been nothing done that's explored that. I think while we still have those vets, we can show some sort of an appreciation, have some kind of first-hand evidence, and have some kind of tie-in. That could honour them. I think there's a movie there that really needs to be made. So I'm hoping I get something. You know, after I finish the book, there's something in there that I can maybe take a chapter, maybe make into a movie. Work something there. That would be because great. If, you know, obviously Ooh. you could film one of those here. And I think that's that's something that could be. You know, I mean, it, it was a brutal, brutal war. You know, fought in the snow in sub-zero conditions with. You know, with almost almost World War Two era technology, and, you know, it was, it was before you know Vietnam, so you did. Yeah, you know, everything was still very very rudimentary in terms of uh, communications and, and, and firepower, and you had basically you know battles you know of attrition, you know, and that's always interesting, I think, in, in, in movie in real terms.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Well, that sounds fantastic.
3: Cool, good. cool. Awesome. Well, really, really fun talking to you. Thank you so much for calling me, and thank you for the nice words about my movies. You, you, you can't imagine how, how happy that makes me feel, that there's people that are enjoying no, congr- it. Congratulations
2: yeah. on all your movies and everything yet to come, sir.
3: Thank you very much, and really good oh. talking to you both. And please keep in touch, and if there's anything I can provide beyond this, uh, well, go check out the the Beautiful Ones trailer. Let me know what you think of that. That's on my site.
2: We should post uh, yeah. that. We should post that. And uh, I uh, I met... Scott Atkins last year at a convention, and he uh, he said that he'd come on the show. So if you just give him a nudge for us, please, Jesse. I
3: will do. I'll mention that this morning. I'm, I'm heading over there in about forty minutes so for sure.
1: for Sure. All right. Dog's right, Doc, well always done. the one that asks the ballsy question. Anyway, have a good day, man, <laughs> and take care. And thanks, thanks yeah, so much. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank,
2: thank you very much. Take care, guys. Ball See day. you later. Bye.